0: My name is Steve Osunzami. I graduated from the University of Illinois in 1993. While I was there, I was an opinion columnist at the Daily Illini, which is, of course, with the Illini Media Company. Now I am a senior national news correspondent for ABC News in the real world, based in Atlanta, Georgia. My company is in New York, and I've been with ABC Now for about, actually, for 25 years, as of about a week ago.
1: For our 150th anniversary here at the Illini Media Company, we're sitting down with 20 talented and successful alumni to talk about their experience at the University of Illinois, the Daily Illini, WPGU, and the Ilio Yearbook. On April 9th, we inducted all 20 into the 2022 Class of our Illini Media Hall of Fame. Steve Osunsami is one of ABC News' longest-serving senior national correspondents. He reports for a number of broadcasts, platforms, and primetime specials, including World News with David Muir and Good Morning America. In 2016, Osunsami won a National Emmy Award for his reporting on the police shooting of Walter Scott in South Carolina. Most recently, in 2021, Osun Sami led the team that investigated the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. In the summer of 2020, Osun Sami reported on the racial unrest following the police killing of George Floyd for ABC News, and has reported extensively on the COVID-19 pandemic, the economic effects of the statewide shutdowns, and the search for a vaccine throughout 2020. Today, WPGU Program Director Jay Sidney Malone speaks with Daily Illini alumnus and 2022 Alina Media Hall of Fame inductee, Steve Osunsami. So I kind of want to get right into the questions
2: and ask you about how you got where you are now, starting first with how you got to Illinois, because I know that's in and of itself a very interesting story uh, from D.C. to Illinois and on. Yeah. So my
0: parents are my parents are born in Nigeria. I was the first kid born here in the, in, in the United States. Um, and I have two older sisters who were born in Nigeria and two younger brothers who were born here. My uh, dad um, came to this country to, for education and um, the school that would let him in was Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, which is how we got to Peoria. And um, so my dad went to Bradley Um, and then he transferred to Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. My father started working for the state as an engineer, and then like within a year or two, he lost his job. So those were some really rough times for us in the eighties. We were on food stamps and we got the government cheese and we'd get powdered milk and we essentially rationed a lot of food. We were, we were definitely food insecure and we lived in section eight housing in Peoria, Illinois. So I grew up in Peoria, me and my two older sisters, we all worked. We had part-time jobs. The minute we could, we were, we all delivered papers in grade school. And then once we were able to start driving, my sister worked at a McDonald's, my other sister worked at another restaurant and I worked at a restaurant and then I worked at a telemarketing company for a bit. And I did this throughout high school. My parents, one thing I'll give them is they very, they really pushed the importance of education. And some of this came from being African, you know, it was just something that is part of that culture. So school was very important. And I happened to be a good student. And for me, I viewed education and my grades as sort of my ticket out of the crappy situation that, you know, I was living in. When I was in school, I was a great student and I got to high school and I had a class conflict. And so, of course, in my mind, college prep meant taking debate. But I had a class conflict because I was also a singer in the orchestra and whatever, and I couldn't take debate and one of these other classes. So I had to take speech. I'm like, ah, whatever. So I took speech that it was my freshman year. And the teacher's name uh, was Sue Green. Her name is Sue Green. She was my teacher and she was really kind of standoffish and really didn't, you know, but I did well in her class. And she had talked to my mother without really talking to me about me joining the speech team the next year. And she was, she was the coach of the speech team and, you know, there's all these competitions and stuff. And so she had convinced my mother to send me to this camp in the summer at Bradley University, which happened to be in town. They happened to be a very good speech team. And my mother paid some money for this. And Sue Green had gotten me the scholarship for the rest of it. So summer came and my mom's like, you're going to this camp. I'm like, what camp am I going to? My mom's like, I paid money for this. You're going. And so I went to this camp and I remember it was all a complete different world to me, like the different events that you do. And I called Sue and asked her what event. Anyway, long story short, I just became, I fell into it. It was like, whoa, it was, it was all of a sudden me realizing I had a skill that I'd always had or that I just needed to nourish that I just took for granted. At the end of that speech camp, they have a, a mini tournament and the winner in each event gets to speak at the banquet and I almost was the speaker my first year. And I'm like, that was just unheard of. So then the next year uh, when I competed, I went to state that my first year in speech. And then the next two years I placed at state, I ended up taking second one year in one event. Anyway, it changed my life. I ended up doing it in college as well, but it taught me that I needed to do something because the events that i did i wrote my own speeches and so i knew that i was looking at a career where i was speaking but also writing the event that i did in college i also took second in the nation in college in this same event is called persuasion and in, in illinois state they call it oratory so it just seemed a natural fit considering when I came to the DI, that I would be an opinion columnist. And that's what I did. And I started my sophomore year. They took me on and uh, I did it sophomore, senior. I did it for three years. And, uh, and back then the paper was daily or five days a week. And we had a massive circulation back then because this is pre- phone in every pocket. It was a completely different world. And so that was the environment where I joined the, the DI in and loved it. And it was a big part, I felt in the college, so I was a, I'm was. a graduate of the College of Media. I felt that my experience at Illini Media and at the DI was, you know, nearly as valuable as the vocational experience I got from the university, that the DI alone, you know, it just gave me close to real world experience um, to what I'm doing now um,
2: in a way that I was not getting at the university. Yeah, I relate so much to your story in a really interesting way, in a way that I didn't expect at all. I was big in, in speech and debate in high school. I also went to state a couple times and placed a couple times in radio, though. So funny to see the, the way that went through. Uh, but it's so interesting to see the importance of education in your life and then prioritizing that when you get to Illinois. Um, and thank you so much for sharing kind of that that full uh, experience. I want to ask, um, you talk about your time at the Daily Illini as an opinions writer, uh, but ultimately you go into TV journalism. So what educated that and what made you make the switch to broadcast? So I was
0: always sort of thinking broadcast and only because I knew that I was so successful at speech. So I was always thinking broadcast. So now that I know, you know, the events I did in high school, I did oratory and deck in high school speech. In college, the events are, some of the events are similar and there's, there's a, a different event. So I also competed at Illinois. I was the captain of the speech team. We have had a very small one and, and there's still a speech team now at, at, at Illinois. In college, I did persuasion which is oratory. I did extemporaneous, impromptu, informative, an event called rhetorical criticism, which is sort of communication analysis. But in every one of the ones that I did best in, with the exception of extemp- and I'm writing the speech. So it's a 10-minute speech that I'm writing and memorizing, as you remember. In high school, it's eight, but in college, it's 10. And so it kind of told me that I I wanted to. I wanted to do both. I needed to write, but I also needed to speak what I wrote, and and so that marriage felt the best in television, which is why I moved the TV ro- moved into the TV. Ro- and I'm glad I did. I knew I I knew that my superpowers, you know, were writing and speaking. And so I wanted to use
2: both of those. And that's where television came into play. On a bit more of a personal note, uh, we talked a lot about your career and your time at Illinois. Uh, I know that Uh, in your time as an opinions writer, you used uh, your column to talk a lot about uh, your own uh, personal life at school and to advocate for issues you cared about. But most importantly, you came out as a gay man in your uh, opinion column while also working at the university as an RA at the time. Can you talk about your experience uh, as a gay man in media, but more specifically, uh, that experience of uh, being in the 90s and not having the same sort of uh, experience in the LGBT community as we do today.
0: And I think it was er, spring of 91 was probably when I wrote that column. You know, um, that is wild to me when I think about how long ago that was and how different this world was. That's before Ellen came out. That's before we started seeing, you know, gay people talking openly in public about their lives that's long before gay marriage. And, you know, it was a different world, but it does say the protection that you can get at a university setting. Um, I was out, I was always out um, to my friends. Um, I was, you know, out, you know, I lived in a residence hall um, and, You know, I was out to my best friend. But yeah, I came out in in an article. It was an article. The issue was um, the area coordinators um, at the university, if they were gay, were not being allowed to um, have their spouses or significant others live with them in the um, university apartment that is given to area coordinators as part of their benefits. But if you were straight, you could. And so the gay area coordinators were trying to get that changed. So I wrote an article—I uh, think I still have it here somewhere—about that, essentially saying that I didn't think that was fair, and that as a gay RA who's in the system and as a, just a gay university student, you know, this is clearly telling me yet again that you know I don't matter as much, um, and. Um, I believe, um, I'm not saying it was because of the article, but the university ended up changing the policy. Um, And so that's how I kind of came out in my article. And, um, you know, I was already out as an RA. So most, a lot of people knew I was out, um, you know, and it was, was, if I'm to go back, I don't know what I was thinking because it's a lot of responsibility being sort of that first you know, because I was publicly out. And so the craziest things would happen, like, God, I can't tell you, I had, one of the good things that would happen is I would have people who were struggling with their sexuality who would come to me, you know, that weren't on my floor. And so I did a lot of that. Um, But the thing that was tough about it, especially looking back, I was new to it myself, right? You know, I'm in college, and So I may be a few years ahead of you, but I was doing a lot of counseling and a lot of talking to people. Then there was the weird part, you know, it was weird, weird, weird being a gay, Black public figure on campus. um, Because as an opinion columnist, we were the celebrities back then, you know, because your picture showed up in the paper every week. So people knew they could see who you were. And there was a lot of conversations. And you were talking about issues that you know, but I, I am, I look back on it and I just really think I was crazy now, but uh, I'm glad I did it, I guess, because I know it helped people. I still hear from people um, every once in a while. Someone will friend me on Facebook. Like I lived in your building and I knew you were gay and it really meant a lot to me. And that's great. Um, I've been out at work every single place I've gone. Um, I've never been to a place where I've not been out. Um, I also think you know, putting it kind of plainly that it's easier for me than it is for other people. I'm six foot three, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, I'm a big guy. I, I don't think a lot of people see me walking in the room and think gay, you know, the first thing they see is black. And, 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 and I think that's made it a little easier for me than it has, than it would be for some other people, but I've absolutely been out every place I've gone. I've never hit it. Um, and it's, it's not been, it's not been an obvious disadvantage to me. Um, And then the world, of course, has changed over the years, you know, to the point where, you know, I mean, you know, I got married to my husband, we've been together for a bit, but, um, you know, in 2010, we got married, and, um, you know, we have two kids, you know. um, And so, you know, but I, The DI definitely played a role because it was, I was out and I was publicly out, but now it was on full blast. Um, I ended up becoming president of the, um, it was People for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual Concerns was the name of the group. used to be called the Gay Illini, but we changed it. And um, um, and that was one I would not do again. Um, You know, it was just sort of, I knew it was very important for the group to have a black president. Um, but, you know, I didn't, you know, at the time, you know, the AIDS crisis was still very, very fresh and very big. And, um, I felt, I felt frankly discriminated against by other white gay men in particular, um, in a way that really stuck with me for a bit, um where it just, um, it was, it was really hard. And, and I, I, um, you know, it took me a while to sort of get past that and to feel better about myself and realize that, you know, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was really, really hard, um, that part. Um, You know, um, I didn't have the same sort of experience that you know, a lot of my other gay friends did who were out, um, you know, and, um, and I don't think it was because I was well-known, it was because I was black. And, because and, was just, it's an entirely different world um, you, you, when you add color to it. I, I often say that, you know, my white gay friends were new to discrimination, you know, um, but I was very familiar with it. And it was frustrating sometimes to feel it from that
2: group. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk more about that because you've had uh, this incredible career since your time at the Daily Illini and uh, a lot of your uh, kind of biggest clips recently have been talking about race relations in the United States and reporting from the South right now and talking about uh, police killings of black men and uh, other uh, kind of really important moments right now. What has that meant to you as a black man reporting on uh, this new wave of uh, talking and, and conversations about race relations in the United States?
0: It's a story that my entire career has been based on. Um, in fact, the story that got me this job was something similar. I did a story in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was working for a local station there. And we were interviewing a woman in the Black part of town. And she's like, you guys ought to do a story on how when kids get shot in the neighborhood, they always take them to you know, the hospital that's furthest away. And they don't take them to the trauma facility right around the corner. And so we went back to the station looked it up found the video from when this woman's son was killed and she we found buried at the end of the tape something we call pad and in the pad of this particular piece that another reporter had done you could hear the mother screaming you know take him to blodgett don't take him to saint mary's to the catholic hospital and so um i did this piece and Um, And we focused on, it was actually two pieces. I found two cases and focused on this young man and his mother, but essentially found that this was true. What was happening is when the black kids, when they were shot, they would end up, they would, the ambulance companies would drive them to the hospital that was furthest away, even though the hospital that could best treat them was right around the corner. Long story short, the law ended up changing in Michigan. And I think it's still this, it's still the case. Um, where uh, ambulances now have to take you to the closest, most appropriate hospital. And if a family member can be identified, ordering for, you know for that person to be taken to hospital X, that's where they should go. Um, it's the piece that got the attention of ABC News um, that got me this job. And from the first day I started on this job, those pieces have been the pieces that I have done. Uh, My first piece on, I don't know if you know who Peter Jennings is. Okay. He is a a very uh, well-respected and famous newsman, anchor of World News Tonight on ABC, legendary journalist and um, a really smart man. And uh, my first piece for that show was a piece on Black farmers who were suing the uh, the USDA in North Carolina because of their lack of access to loans. Essentially, the point I'm getting is that I've been quietly doing these pieces for many, many, many years, but it wasn't until 2020 that all of a sudden, the story that I'm the most passionate about became more popular. And and the other thing about it, too, was at my network, I had a lot of trouble getting in onto prime time. That changed in 2020, when we now realize that this is an important story And that isn't going away that the issue of race in America is serious and deserves all the sunlight we can give it. 2020 was so important because it underlined that a lot of Americans are viewing this country through an entirely different lens, gave more opportunities for someone like me to be noticed for my journalism. Um, because now people really wanted to hear the the stories that I had to tell. And I was very happy to be part of that. I'm happy to tell that story. And I do want to say, though, that even as a Black gay man, one of the things I want to underline is that I don't have ownership over that, that story. I absolutely think it's a conversation with people who don't look like me and who don't have my life experience.
2: Yeah, I totally see that too. Uh, playing off that just kind of as my last question, uh, I want to know what's something that you had to learn the hard way as a professional that you wish you knew when you were at the Daily Illini, when you are at Illinois, sort of as advice to current students at the Daily Illini, current students at Illinois?
0: The last thing I would share, and this is as a journalist, and it's something I really, really believe and I learned through a producer I worked with, I was, there's a story behind it. I was doing a story and I was working with another black producer. It was a feature on this guy who had created this board game in California. It was called life as a black man. It was like a monopoly game and you, you know, roll the dice and you get arrested and beat up by a cop. Essentially each, depending on the spaces you landed, you'd run into this discrimination or that. And it was kind of meant as tongue in cheek, but we just sort of did a a story kind of, featuring this and the guy who created the game was in California and we had a group of white players play the game and a group of black players play the game. And we recorded both of them and got their reactions and the black folks thought it was funny and loved it. But, but we got an entirely different response from the, yeah, from the white group who was just, they were horrified. They're like, oh, and didn't know what to do. You know, I wrote the piece showing the game and we did the stand up on a chroma key where you actually saw me walking the piece of the game. It was really kind of cool at the time. But the last line of the piece after the white group played the game, um, I had written something really throwaway. The game's creator says he's going to make it into a TV show. It was something stupid. And the producer who I was working with, he hated it. He's like, what the, you know, this is stupid. He's like, what, you're just this, what, what, you've told me this now, what am I doing with it? And and I knew what he wanted me to do. And we got into this argument. And I said, you know, and I said to him, I don't want to preach. They don't want me to preach. I don't want to preach. And then he said the following, which is something I share a lot. He said, you know, the difference between what makes a good reporter and a great one is the following Can you look at something and share with your audience something that they wouldn't see? If they were standing right there with you, that slapped my face. I'm like, oh my God, he's so right. And so then what I ended up writing was after the white folks played the game and hated it. And I said, the game's creator says, that's his point. They don't have to play this game on a board game or in real life, but he does. And so that was the line that was that it produced that line. And it's what I do now all the time. You can hire anybody to go look and tell you that the sky is blue, right? How hard is it to go outside my window, look up and report what you see? You know, sky's blue, leaves are green, sun's shining. But what can you see from your perspective that someone else doesn't see that would make this really informative? And that's my big advice to all journalism students. Let your background, whatever it is, be your tool. Your perspective is your tool. Everyone has one, no matter white, black, blue, doesn't matter. Use that background to tell your stories and to report because that's that's where the real goodness is.
2: Absolutely. Steve Osensami, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's been a pleasure to learn more about your story uh, and to hear about your wonderful career. I I look forward to everything else you're going to do in the future.